0: Welcome to the Plan Vision Podcast, where we share simple, straightforward investment and planning ideas for normal people. The description in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Do not construe this as personal tax, financial, or legal advice for your situation.
1: Hey there, this is Mark Sorrell with the Plan Vision Podcast, and I'm pleased to have Aaron Klein join us again. Aaron was uh, with us in the past and talked about some mortgage related questions, and uh, we're going to talk today about a topic that definitely comes up for me when I work with our expat clients, typically our American expat clients that are interested in seeing if they can qualify for or buy a home. So Aaron's going to share with us some thoughts on that um, and some of her experience on that as well. Thanks, Erin, for joining us. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. So I'll just set it up this way. We work with Americans all over the world and Certainly, I've run into cases where our clients will ask us if we know anything about how they can qualify for buying a house while they're abroad, either as a place that they're ultimately going to come back and live in or as an investment property. So can you shed some light on some of the considerations that they may have uh, as they begin this process? Absolutely.
0: And it is an area that, that people get very confused about. and They'll tend to believe that they can't get financing. That isn't true in most cases, um, but it is a little bit different. The, the biggest important factor is, do they have an American credit history or do they not? It doesn't mean that we can't get a loan if they don't have an American credit history or U.S. credit history, but it makes things much more difficult because the availability of foreign credit reports is very small. Okay. And so you you end up in a different world. So let's, let's assume for the point of our conversation that we have a client who has a U.S. address. You know, they may have moved away from the U.S. many years ago, but they established a credit history here. They probably still have credit cards here or a student loan or whatever that might be. So they do have things reporting to their U.S. credit report as long as they... <clears throat> excuse me, as long as they have a U.S. address, we can then pull a U.S. credit report. And as long as that U.S. credit report meets the credit standards, we have satisfied that issue.
1: Okay. So now I'm sorry, let me interrupt you now because I know, and you may, we're going to cover this anyway, but earnings history is always a big part of this or income. And so that is one thing that even I have this probably incorrect idea that, oh, they have to have income here in the States. Can you comment on how income is viewed from an underwriting perspective?
0: Yes, that's a great question. That's actually where I was going to go next is credit isn't the only piece of the puzzle, right? We we also have to worry about employment and income and ability to qualify. Um, Typically, these people are earning income. They're just earning it outside of the U.S. And as a U.S. citizen, they still have to file a tax return. still have to report that income it doesn't necessarily mean that they're paying tax on that income but it does show up on the tax return and then they get an exemption for it so as long as we can document an adequate reliable source of qualifying income that is sufficient to qualify for the loan and is reported on a u.s tax return then we can absolutely use that income to qualify and if it's being paid in another currency in a foreign country sometimes the documents that document that income, maybe in a different language, we have to have them translated, but as long as we can, we can
1: document that. Okay. Interesting. So when somebody is wanting to begin the process, would it be the same uh, initiation that they go through with you to qualify for a loan?
0: By and large, yes. You know, here's the beauty of, uh, technology, right? And and some of the force of COVID on the mortgage industry is that everything has become online and virtual for the most part. Um, so doing application is quite easy. You go online, you fill out the application, it'll prompt you for documents. Of course, the systems are not trained to, the, the automated systems are not trained to ask a client questions about a foreign income and so that's where we as human beings kind of intervene there's only so much the technology is going to do for us that we're going to gather that data and we're going to communicate with the client directly on what things might be unique to their situation and what we need to do to meet a different standard of documentation for that. Throughout the process, you know, of course, if the clients find the house site unseen, there's some other things to talk about on the real estate yeah. side, if they didn't come here to see the property. Um, but then there is also the issue of the closing. And that would be the probably the biggest deal for your clients is they probably are not going to be here for the closing. And so that means at the outset, we're going to talk about how is that closing going to get handled? Because by and large, the real estate mortgage industries are not at a point where everything is done electronically for closings. Mm-hmm. That's very much state-based. Most of it requires in-person signatures. Typically what you'll have a client do in that case is appoint somebody a power of attorney to be able to sign their closing documents for them. And we just have to work that out well in advance because there are some, some countries where to, if they're not going to come to the United States at all to sign documents, there are some countries that to get notarized power of attorneys, you have to actually go to the consulate.
1: I see, okay. So many of the people that would be buying these properties might be coming at it. Well, people might come at this from two different angles. Many expats will say, look, I just want to have an investment property. I don't know if I'm ever going to live in this place. Mm-hmm. Other people, so they're buying it as an investment property. Other people might say, well, we kind of want to live there eventually, but we'd like to you know, have somebody pay our mortgage along the way. So how is how are you going to work with them based upon the notion they're not really gonna live in the place. Does that make any difference? There's just a line of demarcation between what
0: do we call a second home and what do we call an investment property. And technically a second home is a place that you primarily use for your own rest and leisure. You might visit there, you know, people, for example, if you're living in the States, perhaps you have a home in the Northern part of the country, you have a home in the Southern part of the country, you stay at them in different parts of the time at different parts of time. You might occasionally Airbnb your second home out to somebody, but you're not renting it out to somebody else long-term. An investment property on the other hand is where Even if you may intend to live there four or five or six years down the road, if you buy it and somebody is going to rent it from you permanently or or long-term, then it's considered an investment property. Second homes are treated differently than investment properties for financing. So second homes are much more attractive. You need smaller down payments and the rates are very similar to what a primary residence purchase would be. The disadvantage of an investment property is it does require a larger investment and it does cost a higher interest rate.
1: I see. Okay. Curious thought here would be these expats can live in countries where they have very low expenses and they maybe even get allowances to pay for their housing. And in those countries, their cash flow on a monthly basis or annual basis will be very strong. That same person may live in another country where their expenses are a lot higher, so they have a lot less. Take home is that factored into this at all, or is that just not a relevant factor? Is their actual cost of living?
0: You would sure think it would be, but you know, I, I liken this to when we talk about clients getting, say, a mortgage, a VA mortgage because they're a veteran versus an FHA or a conventional mortgage. VA loans count childcare as an expense in qualifying. There is no other type of loan that counts childcare as an expense. But if you look at two clients who each make the same amount of money, and one person is paying $2,000 a month for childcare and one person is paying none, they can't afford the same house payment. Yeah. But by and large, conventional FHA financing doesn't even consider childcare a debt, the VA does. So, your question about, I, I liken it to your question about the cost of living in other countries, you would think that would matter. Common sense says that that does change what they can afford but it is not going to alter the debt to income ratio. There is not a higher debt to income ratio for somebody living in a lower cost country where it will benefit them is because they typically are buying these homes, not as an owner occupied primary residence, because they will not be living there right away. We do have to document what their house payment is, where they're living. And typically that's going to be rent or it's going to be employee, employer provided housing. If they are paying rent in a lower cost Area, well, then we're going to hit their debt to income ratio for less money in rent than we would if they were living in a higher cost area.
1: Okay. Let me double back on something you mentioned earlier, really, just for my own clarification. And that was are, are you, if, if they're buying a place here in the States, they live somewhere else, if they do not own a home where they live, let's say they live in China. Are you still considering them to be buying a second home here?
0: Yes, because to be called a residence, you're required to move into it within 60 days and to live there more than 50% of the time.
1: Okay. If if somebody's returning, they're repatriating, they're coming home and they want to buy a house, uh, you know, they, they want to move into their house when they return, mm-hmm. can you treat them as if, they're they're buying their first home and they're going to move in and be good to go. Do you understand my question?
0: I think you're asking me if we would treat it as an owner occupied primary residence. Yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of crossover. You know, when you talk about can we treat it as a primary residence if they're living in China? Well, if you think about it from the perspective of is it their primary residence? Well, no, it isn't. So that makes sense. But from a tax perspective, there's other things to consider, right? Um, when a client is moving, if the client is legitimately going to live in the home as their primary residence and they are going to move into it within 60 days of closing, then they can finance it as an owner-occupant.
1: I see. Okay. Well, this has been great. Do you have any other comments you can think of that are relevant for expats and their considerations in buying a home? Or did we pretty much cover most of the important stuff?
0: You know, I would tell you that just it's not as difficult as I think a lot of people would think that it is. If we were talking about how do we have a – US citizen buy a home in another country, that's a completely different situation because that's not the US banking system. But a a US citizen who is not living here buying a property that is here is not a whole lot different from a normal loan. There's a few extra hoops to jump through. There's sometimes documents to translate. There's sometimes some things with notaries and consulates. But outside of that, by and large, it's about the same as if they were here.
1: So just to clarify for all of our expat clients that are listening, or I guess for non-expat clients as well, they can just reach out to you and, and talk to you about their situation and you can see if you can help them.
0: You got it. Yeah, everybody's situation is different. So we can talk in generalities, but it's good to know what somebody's specific situation is so we can give them actual guidance on that
1: situation. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Plan Vision
1: Podcast. Let us know if you have any questions or comments on the topics covered.